Witness Docs from Stitcher. A note to our listeners before we get started. This story contains descriptions of assault and sexual violence. And our show is serialized. So if you haven't heard episode one, go back and listen. When I was alone, whether it was at night before sleeping or during train trips, I I would start thinking about this and more and more and more. But I still wanted to enjoy my trip. I was trying to control myself during the day because we had such a fun trip. I didn't want to ruin that. But then when I came back to Portugal, uh, I was exhausted. I slept for one day and a half. So yeah, physically I was fine, but there was something strange going on with my dreams. Like every time I close my eyes to sleep, even if it's just for a little bit, the the dreams are so real. When I wake up, I, I don't even understand where I am. I don't understand if I'm here or if I'm in the situation I was dreaming about. Basically, I feel lost between dreams and reality and I don't know which one is the real world or the real situation. It happens all the time as soon as I close my eyes. I'm Natasha Del Toro, and this is Verified. To catch you up, Maria and her friends, Miriam and Sara, just got back from a trip to Italy. They had used the Couchsurfing website and ended up as the guests of a man called Leonardo Maglio. But after one horrible night, Miriam suspected that Leonardo had drugged them. That was disturbing enough. But for Maria, It was the moment Leonardo forced a kiss on her that kept playing in her head. I told Miriam about this thing that I remembered being on the bed with him and then I don't remember what happened after, so I don't know if if something else happened besides kissing him. And she said, I went inside the room to pick up something from my backpack And I saw you two on the bed. This is what Miriam saw. I opened the door and he was laying beside her and nothing was happening. And I just sat in a way where I could look at her and they were just sleeping. Um, He didn't look like he was faking sleeping. He... I felt like he was asleep. And I I feel like if something would have happened that I would remember, I think adrenaline would have kicked in and I would have intervened. Yeah, it's a different kind of abuse. Some people wouldn't think it's very serious because, I mean, he didn't hurt you, didn't give you a disease, he didn't 
It's fine. You're fine. Nothing happened, but it, it's not how it feels to me. The more Maria and Miriam thought about it, the more upset they got. So they took their anger and confusion and started investigating. If Leonardo had drugged them, they figured there must be other women out there that he hurt. That was when we kind of went a bit obsessive and we searched everything. We found strange blogs with strange entries. And I think the more, the stranger things became, I think the more interested we were. Like, okay, he cannot just be out in public. And I think, I think um, that was the motivation behind everything is, okay, just make, just let's make sure that nothing happens to anyone else. I decide to sit in front of my computer and log in on Couchsurfing and go back to Leonardo's profile to read the reviews more carefully because he had a lot of reviews. Before they stayed with Leonardo, they had read through his couchsurfing profile and they'd vetted him thoroughly. But now they realized his profile just didn't add up. So even though he had many, many, many positive reviews, I decided to go inside the accounts of a few people who wrote him positive reviews and send them messages. Even though they left a positive review, maybe they felt like we did. Or like Maria did, <laughs> like she wasn't really sure what happened. So just leave a, a neutral, a positive review and get on with their lives. So Maria went back on the couchsurfing platform and started sending out messages to other women who stayed with Leonardo. Here's Maria reading one of those messages. Hi, Amelie. This is a little awkward and uncomfortable for me, but I really am looking for some answers and I thought maybe you could help me. I'm very sorry to be bothering you, but please, if this message means something to you, don't leave me without an answer. Though you left him a positive reference, did something very wrong and unexpected happen while you stayed at Leonardo's house in Padova? I'm sure if it happened to you, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. If this means something to you, I beg you to please contact me back. Thank you so much for the time spent, Maria. And this is what she heard back from Amelie. Hi, Maria. No worries, you're not bothering me. I am actually very happy that you are contacting me because of your stay in Padova. It turns out, Amelie's positive review left a lot out. Yes, she and her friend had stayed with Leonardo in Padua. And no, it had not all gone smoothly. The night before they were due to leave, Amelie's friend got sick. Leonardo gave her some medication, which only seemed to make things worse. Here's Maria again, reading the rest of Amelie's message. We had a very early flight and we had to get up at 4 a.m. So after she took the medicine, she fell asleep on the couch and I wanted to wake her up when we went to bed, but she wouldn't wake up. I had to slap her in the face to wake her up. She was very dizzy. She seemed like being really drunk. I don't know what he gave her. Every time Maria and Miriam found another bit of information about Leonardo, it made them want to search for more. They became detectives. 
looking for clues and keeping close tabs on his profile. I remember checking up on him maybe every two weeks. I would just look at his profile. And I remember going to his profile and just seeing that somebody left a very bad review and I immediately called or messaged Maria. I was like, oh my God, you have to go to his profile. Look at what is happening. So I go there and I read and a girl was telling a story identical to ours. She was telling people, watch out, this guy drugged me and my friends. This girl is what started it all, I feel like, because once she had the courage to leave the comment, everyone felt empowered to leave theirs. And bad comments just kept coming. Um, it was crazy. The basic points were all the same. So he gave them something to drink, they took something from him, and they felt the same way that we felt. After I read that review, I finally understood that Miriam was right, and it really happened. He really drugged us because otherwise the stories wouldn't be so similar if we were just drunk. And now I feel very angry because he obviously knew how I was. I guess he did this to many girls before. That he probably thinks what they're feeling and he took advantage of it. Obviously, that's the whole point, right? I feel very angry. Now, Maria's certain of two things. She knows she was drugged, and she knows there are other women. My name is Kate. I'm a young professional freelance writer, occasional teacher, and artist. Um, I'm kind of always thinking about something creative or thinking about how I can take material from my life and reproduce it on the page or on a canvas because I'm also a painter. Kate is from Montana. She's artistic and ambitious. And even though she loved home, she wanted to see the world. I, I was so restless growing up all the time. I was frustrated with a lot of narrow-mindedness. I was always wanting more. So I think something about the mountains and something about the big sky really made me hungry. The one thing I don't like about Montana is the fact that it can be so culturally isolated. I don't get to walk down the street and hear someone speaking French or Spanish or Czech um, or Italian <laughs> or Japanese. Kate ended up leaving Montana to go to college at Princeton. And in 2013, she spent a year abroad at Oxford University in England. While she was there, she wanted to use every opportunity she could to travel. So during spring break, Kate wanted to see more of Europe. She especially wanted to visit Italy. And she stumbled on couchsurfing. And I was like, well, this will be a great resource for me. I'll just make sure that I really choose hosts who have high reviews. And I would look for like five-star reviews, multiple reviews, verified, would read through all of the reviews, but I liked the idea of couchsurfing because I was like, this will get me not necessarily the party culture of a hostel where you go and you just party. And that's what I did in Rome um, and saw the Pope. <laughs> but it's like with couchsurfing, you get a local host. After Rome, Kate set out for Venice, a city that she'd always wanted to visit. But she couldn't find an open couch. So Kate put out one of those public requests for a place to stay. And she immediately heard back. 
I got a message from a man in Padua and he was like, I see you want to go to Venice, but just so you know, Padua is very close to Venice. I'm not sure if there'll be availability in Venice. And I was like, okay. And I looked at his profile and it, he was a police officer and had like 60 or 70 or 100 reviews and they were all very positive and he was very verified. You know, it's not ideal because I'd love to stay in Venice, but it'll save me money. And he was very, very communicative right away and gave me a lot of details. And so I said, okay, I'll go for it. So I took the train from Rome. I think it was sometime in the morning. He told me to get off at the train station that he would pick me up. So he was there at the train station with his friend Vincenzo, who was very tall and didn't speak any English. He went by Leo. Hello, I'm Leo. Like, kiss, kiss. Vincenzo, kiss, kiss. And all that stuff. And we got in the car. And then I think we went straight to his apartment. Kate dropped her bags at Leonardo's apartment and got right back in the car to go exploring with him and his buddy Vincenzo. We got in the car. He was wearing a tank top and he had these tattoos. And he was like blasting this music and was like, do you like my tattoos? And they're like these weird flames, like teeth things. It's hard to explain. And I was like, "Mm, like, I don't know how how you respond to that. And he was like, yeah, I just got them. I really like them. And he was kind of like, you know, showing off his biceps a little bit. And from the beginning, he would like kind of like look at me and then do this thing where he'd be like, those eyes, like all the time, like so beautiful, so beautiful, so beautiful eyes. And um, he was doing that a lot. Leonardo was starting to make Kate uncomfortable. But she pushed the thought to the back of her mind because she was excited that they were taking her to Verona, the setting of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, which she absolutely loves. We got to Verona and we walked around a lot and we went to see Juliet's balcony. And I remember writing my name on the wall. Like Vincenzo lifted me up so I could write my name on the wall. And my name is probably still there. And then I remember it was raining and we're driving back and he stopped at a stoplight and he looked at me and Vincenzo's there and he was just like, I'm in love with you. Please, I'm in love with you. And I was just like, I don't know what to say to that. I'm sorry. I don't I don't feel that way. And he was just like, you're so beautiful. You're so beautiful in your eyes. And just, you know, this, this like pain, a lover's pain. This is just hours after Kate and Leonardo met. The whole situation felt awkward. But... She figured it was just a cultural thing. With Vincenzo there as a buffer, it felt very, almost like pathetic. It didn't feel threatening. It felt just like, wow, this is over the top. Very strange, but like, I was also like, he's Italian. I mean, I walked around Rome and people were, you know, guys would come up and I didn't like this, but like motorbikes would slow down and they'd be like, bella, bella, bella. And I found it disgusting, but... It was also like, I kind of knew that this was how it was. Italian culture was very passionate. And so I was like, he's very passionate. And I knew I wanted to go to Venice the next day anyways. So it was like, I'm, I'll be fine. And Vincenzo's there. And I, I, didn't, I didn't feel any threat. I just was uncomfortable and a little weary. And then we got to the apartment. And then I, 
he and Vincenzo went to their separate rooms and I, I slept on the, on the futon and, and that was that. The next morning, Leonardo drove his friend Vincenzo back to the train station to go home. That meant that Kate was now alone with Leonardo for the first time. And suddenly he was acting weird towards her. There was no more of the, like, your eyes are so beautiful. Like, all of that was gone. He was very detached from me. I kind of felt like a burden. It was raining, so Leonardo managed to talk her out of going to Venice at all, even though it was the whole reason she came to Padua. The premise was, he's like, well, it's raining, like, Venice wouldn't be really great. I just kind of accepted that it was a rainy day, and part of me, I think, was thinking, like, well, maybe I'll just, I'll skip Venice. Kate just kind of accepted she'd have to pass the time with him until she left the next morning. They spent the day driving around town and running his errands. Then he took her back to his place for dinner. And he made this soup that was awful. It was this bean soup with noodles in it, and it was so sweet. And I found it nauseating, but I ate it anyways. And to this day, like, I think about that flavor, and I want to vomit. This was not turning out to be as fun as she'd imagined. But she was in his house. She had to eat. What was she going to do? So she settled in. He was kind of like, do you want to watch a movie? And I was like, yeah, actually, I'd love to. Like, that sounds really good. I was feeling really sleepy and tired. Um, and he's like, you know, here's my movie selection. He had a, quite a generous movie selection. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, I'll, I haven't watched a movie in forever. And I found Pan's Labyrinth, which is actually, I'd seen it before. And it's a very gruesome movie. And I remember loving the the song, The Mother's Lullaby. It's like, mm-hmm. It's like beautiful plaintive melody. I just remember loving that. And then it's, it's this beautiful, sad meditation on a childhood and imagination. So I was excited to watch that. And he's like, uh, do you want a cup of tea? And I said, yeah. He's like, I'll make, is chamomile okay? I was like, yeah, I'm tired. I'll drink some chamomile tea. Then Pan's Labyrinth started and he was preparing the tea while I was watching. And then he, he brought it out in these little thimbles. And I asked like, is there sugar in it? And he's like, no, there's no sugar in it. I saw him pouring white powder and, you know, like, people hearing this are going to be like, what? You didn't, why did you drink it if you saw him pouring white powder? But he actually said when I was like, is, is there any sugar? And he's like, I don't think there's any sugar in this. And the way he said that was like, oh, it's a powdered drink mix. But I saw it was a packet and there was white powder. But he was very matter of fact about it and in front of me. But yeah, I did see white powder. But I, st- I still drank the tea and, um, you know, call me stupid.
This is Jess Betancourt, the host of DNA ID, the only true crime podcast that exclusively covers cases solved using forensic genealogy. DNA ID goes behind the headlines to answer your questions about this remarkable new crime-solving tool, how it works, how cases are selected, why the cases were unsolved for so long, and how the justice system is addressing it. I include input from law enforcement to give you the inside scoop that we all crave with a straightforward, no-nonsense delivery. You can find DNA ID on any podcast platform. Episodes come out weekly on Mondays. I drank the tea and we were watching the movie and I I was tired to begin with, but I remember thinking like, oh my God, I'm so sleepy. And I was like, I'll just close my eyes for a little bit. And I kept like closing them and like waking up. But I remember like the movie hadn't even started and I was out cold, completely asleep. The next thing she knew, it was morning. I remember waking up and Leo was lying next to me. I was fully clothed. And I remember getting up because I had to pee and I almost fell over. I felt incredibly sick. And I was walking to the bathroom and I was like tipping into the wall. And I remember just thinking dimly like something is wrong. Like I am very, very, very ill. Like something is horribly wrong. But I just felt nauseous and dizzy and so far out of my body. And all I could do was stumble back to the futon and fall back asleep. He kept coming in and saying, you can't sleep all day, you can't sleep all day. And I was just like, I feel awful, like whatever I could articulate. And he started to get a little worried. He was like, he would shake me and be like, come on, get up. And I was like, I just couldn't. My body was a sack of lead. And I remember he made me food, actually. He brought in a plate of mushrooms and rice, and it was purple. He was forcing me to sit up and to take a couple bites, and I just couldn't. I was just completely non... Like, I just couldn't do anything. I couldn't speak. I couldn't swallow. I was just, like, mumbling... I just wanted to sleep, but there was genuine concern in his eyes. He was really wanting me to get up and be okay. I mean, again, looking back, I wonder if he's like, oh, I gave her too much. There's too much drugs. Like, maybe I'll, you know, probably worried that he would kill me. It was Kate's third day in Padua. She was drifting in and out of sleep for almost a full day. She was barely conscious, but what she remembers is incredibly upsetting. So my sense of time was very skewed. I, and I don't remember how it began, but he, he came into the bedroom and he started kissing me. I was on my back, and he must have taken off my pants, my pajama pants. I I couldn't consent to anything, and I, I was just dimly aware of what was happening. I couldn't stop him. And um, 
he put his mouth on me and then he kept saying, I can't resist, I can't resist, I can't resist. He was crouching over me for a really long time and um, uh, I think he, he put a condom on. And then he said something like, you know, if you have an orgasm, it's good because it's good for the body. It'll make you feel better. And I can't resist, is what he kept saying. Um, and then eventually it was over. It was kind of darkness after that. I woke up. I was a little more coherent. He was lying next to me. He wasn't wearing any pants. He was wearing a shirt, though. And I remember I was like, I have to go. And I sat up. And he was pulling at me. He's like, no, 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 no. Don't leave me, don't leave me, don't leave me. And I was like, I have to go. I have to get on a train. And um, he acted like I was a lover leaving or like breaking up with him or something. That was, the emotion on his face was, was like so vivid. I still remember that. When Kate left Padua, her memory was still blurry. She sensed something bad had happened, but she couldn't quite believe it. She cried a lot for the next few days, and she wasn't even sure why. When she finally got home to England, she went to see her friend Jack, a classmate at Oxford. She was having trouble articulating exactly what happened— but she told him everything that she could remember. And we were walking, and I told him what happened. And he stopped me, and he put his hands on my shoulder, and he said, you have been drugged. And I didn't believe him at first. It was like I had not, I honestly had not registered that. Subconsciously, yes, but it was like my brain could not articulate that. And I was like, you know, I was crying and I kind of like submitted to that knowledge because he was so assertive. He was like, you have been drugged and raped. And I was just like, no, 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 no. Like, this can't happen to me. This can't happen to me. This can't happen to me. He's like, we're going to go tell my parents and we're going to call the police. I just kind of numbly went along with it because I knew he was right. Um, but having someone else articulate it, I think, was the most painful thing for me. Jack took Kate to his house to talk to his parents. She barely knew them, but still. She sat them down and told them what she had just begun to process— the reality that she had been drugged and raped by an Italian policeman. I had to articulate everything that had happened to me with Jack sitting right next to me and it was, and his mother, and it was like suddenly this gruesome intimacy in their living room. And I was so embarrassed. His parents were stunned. They decided to call the local British police and an officer came over to the house to take Kate's statement. Everything around her started moving quickly. The police asked Kate to hand over any evidence of her travels, including texts and Facebook messages with Leonardo. Then they contacted Couchsurfing to remove Leonardo's profile. And even though she was dreading it, 
Kate had to go to the hospital for a physical examination. And I think the hardest part was the forensic test because I was there with Jack's mom. And I remember the nurse taking my blood and I fainted. And when he woke up, the doctor hadn't even looked. His back was to me. And Jack's mom was holding my hand. And the doctor kind of looked around and was like, oh, she fainted, and then, like, looked back and, like, was so clinical and cruel. Um, He was the one who, like, put a speculum inside of me and, like, clipped my pubic hair, and it was, like, this another man, just, like, no sensitivity, like, none. I had no one there to counsel me through the trauma. There was no one there saying, um, I know what you've been through and I'm here. Um, I mean, I had Jack's family, but it was different. It was like, it was awkward for them. (laughs) They didn't know me. It was awkward for Jack. It broke his heart, I think. Kate was so grateful that Jack's family helped her. But she wanted to tell her own family what happened. I uh, contacted my dad and my brother and um, Jessie, a woman who I'm very close to, who I call her a second mom. And that was all very, very hard. Uh, My dad was pretty devastated. That was the only time I've really ever talked openly about it with him. But Jessie was the hardest, and actually, I only learned recently how she responded. It was so hard for her. I'm glad I knew that later, because um, I think if I had really registered how much this affected the people I love, it would have been unbearable. Kate's semester at Oxford was almost over, and she tried to find a way to get through it as best she could. I still did really well in my classes. I still, I think I acted in a play. Like, I I was still, I wasn't paralyzed. Um, I was burying it. So I made sure those last weeks were actually good ones. They weren't dark. I just tried to forget what had happened. And I wasn't hearing anything from the police anyways, so it was like nothing was happening that I had to worry about. I had done everything. Kate really did do everything she could. She reported Leonardo and went through physical examinations, hoping that this would move her case forward. But it went nowhere. That's because reporting a rape that happened in a foreign country is a bureaucratic nightmare. There's no international police force that takes care of this kind of situation. Kate's file started with the local police in England, and then it was escalated to Scotland Yard, before it would even reach Italy. She waited around for news from the police and never got the call. But Kate wasn't the only one who wanted to punish Leonardo. Next time on Verified. I have a lot of questions in my head. 
and I needed to to find some answers. I couldn't just move on and you know move on with my studies and my life and forget about this. It, it wouldn't be possible to just do that. Maria knows she has to figure out the truth. But if she wants to stop Leonardo, she's going to have to get creative. And she won't be able to do it alone. I could decide five years later, okay, whatever, we're not going to go to trial because it's too stressful, we're just going to forget. But I decided not to forget. The more we investigate him, the more we realize how dangerous he is. In ancient times, people were killed by the gods and sent to the worst kind of hell for betraying the trust of a guest. This season of Verified is reported by Alessia Tarantula, Cecilia Onassi, and Giulio Rubino of Irpi, Investigative Reporting Project Italy. It's written and produced by me, Natasha Del Toro, Suzanne Reber, senior producer Dan Bloom, Bruce Edwards, Rachel Aronoff, Joey Fishground, and Shreya Nandi. Additional production by Grant Hill. Our editors are Peter Clowney, Gianna Palmer, and Ellen Weiss. Engineering by Casey Holford, Bruce Edwards, and Robin Wise. Our theme and original music are by Allison Leighton Brown. Special thanks to Andrew Haig for our collaboration with Ground Source. We are particularly grateful to the many women who spoke with us, both on and off the microphone, and trusted us to tell their story. Verified is created by Suzanne Reber and executive produced by Suzanne Reber, Ellen Weiss, Peter Clowney, and Chris Bannon. The show is produced by Scripps Washington Bureau in collaboration with Witness Docs, a Stitcher network. There's so much more for you to discover about this story and what's coming up on the show. You can find us on Twitter at VerPod and at VerifiedPod on Instagram and Facebook. Or you can write to us at VerifiedPod at Stitcher.com. If you like the show and believe in this kind of storytelling, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It'll help more people discover Verified. Thanks for listening. 